Open your Bibles to John chapter 7 tonight. John chapter 7. Tonight in our service on this Friday night, on this 35th night, I'm going to give you a tip uh, tonight. Now, it will be free, even though it is priceless. Uh, it'll be free tonight. And I'll just tell you, I know that it is the best advice you will ever get. It is the best, best advice you will ever, ever get. Now, uh, it is better than if I told you to buy Walmart stock in 1980. It's better than that. Uh, it's better than if I told you to buy real estate around Austin in 1990, not to live there for sure, but to sell it. Uh, it is better than if I told you do not bet on the Cowboys after 1995. It's better than that. Very seriously tonight, it is the best advice you could ever get. It is the best advice that I could ever give. And here it is. Are you ready for this? Walking with Christ is truly the best way to live. Walking with Christ is truly the best way to live. Listen to me. It is not a punishment. It is not a heavy burden. It is not a killjoy. It is not God trying to break you or to control you or to spite you. Walking with Christ truly is the best way to live. It is the best way for life. It is the best way for death. It is the best way for your finances, the best way for your family, for your spouse, and for your kids. It is the best thing for your job, for your career. It is the best thing for your health. It is the best thing for your peace of mind. It is the best thing for what you do in the day. It is the best thing for how you'll sleep at night. Walking with Christ in all areas totally, fully, truly is the best way to live. I want you to be sure tonight, there is not part of your life, there is no aspect of your life that if submitted to Christ, that will not be better. Walking with Christ is truly the best way to live. I don't know why we don't believe that. I don't know why that's so hard to sink in. That is the best advice I can give you. Walking with Christ is actually, truly the best way to live. Tonight, our message is entitled, The Blessings of Belief. The Blessings of Belief. Tonight, we're in John chapter 7, verses 25 through 39. John chapter 7, verses 25 through 39. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 25, God's word says this. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they're seeking to kill? Look, he is speaking publicly and they're, they're saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out of the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I'm from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to seize him, 
And no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore, Christ said, for a little while longer I am with you, then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews then said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He is not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is this statement that he has said? You will seek me and will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for this opportunity. We're thankful for this night. We're thankful for 35 opportunities to hear the word of God. Lord, we pray that you've been glorified in each one of them, that you've been known in each one of them. I pray that tonight would be nothing less than marvelous. I pray, Lord, that you would speak tonight, that it would be supernatural tonight, that we would hear your voice tonight, that we would draw closer to you this night. I pray, Lord, that it would, it would bear a great impact in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. Lord, I pray for some that will hear this tonight that do not know you. I pray that in the hearing of the truth and the hearing of good news, that tonight might be the night of their salvation. Lord, we do praise you. We do worship you. We submit this to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Tonight we continue with the account of Jesus in Jerusalem for the Jewish festival of booths, or the Jewish festival of tabernacles. We're going to start back very quickly with our verses tonight, beginning in verse 25. It says this, So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, Is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Now, remember Jesus has gone to Jerusalem he has gone to the most visible place in Jerusalem, to the, to the temple, and in the middle of this vastly popular feast, he has started teaching. Now, the strange thing about that is the Jewish leaders are not only looking for him at this point, they are actually looking to kill him. At this point, the Bible tells us they want him dead. They are seeking to kill him. Remember back last night in verse 19, he asked, why do you seek to kill me? And remember last night in verse 20, they say, are you crazy? Do you, do you have a demon? Who wants to kill you? Well, tonight in verse 25, it tells us some of the people are blown away 
by his boldness. They are blown away by his audacity. They are actually seeking to kill him. They knew that. They know that. And he stands publicly and teaches there. They are blown away by his boldness. Let me point this out tonight. We need to know this tonight. We need to see it tonight. A mark of Christ and a mark of his followers is boldness. I think sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we miss that. Jesus is bold. In fact, we see over and over again in this account, especially tonight, Jesus is radically bold. Remember at the start of the church in the book of Acts, his followers very quickly ask for boldness. They seek for boldness. Folks, be very sure tonight to carry the message that we are to carry for the honor of Christ to uphold the word of God, especially in this day for the honor of Christ, to exist in these days for the honor of Christ will not be done in apathy. It will not be done in timidity. Christ and his followers are to be marked by boldness. We must be bold. Today, we must be bold. A bold Savior ought to have bold disciples. He is bold. We must be bold as well. Verse 26. Look, he is speaking publicly, and they are saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? They know that the Jewish leaders are seeking to kill him, and yet here he is, and he's publicly speaking. And so they say, maybe the rulers know that he is the Christ. You see, if he were a liar, if he were a fraud, they would remove him. They wouldn't let him speak here in the temple. And so they're wondering, here he is speaking. Perhaps he is the Christ. They are wondering about it. They are weighing it out. What's going on here? Perhaps he truly is the Christ. Verse 27. However, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Now, understand the common assumption of the day was that when the Messiah came, that it would, he would be unknown. It would be unknown where he came from until he was suddenly revealed. They think, here's the Savior from God. Here's the Christ. And it'll be unknown from whence he comes from until he's suddenly revealed. It was unthinkable to them. Now, listen, it makes sense to think that the Messiah of God would have a past, that he would have a life. It was unthinkable to them to think the Savior from God would have a family or even have worked a trade. And so here they are. They know that Jesus is from Galilee. They know that he is from Nazareth. They know that he's from a carpenter's family. His hometown people, they had caravan there. They had traveled in. They could tell him all about Jesus. And so they would say, surely this is not the Messiah. We know where he's from. We know who his family is. We know what trade that he works in. Verse 27 again. However, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Verse 28. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, you both know me and where I'm from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, 
whom you do not know. It says he cried out in the temple. Now, understanding the original language, it's not talking necessarily about volume here, but it is a serious declaration. So there he is, he's teaching. He hears their discussion. He knows their thoughts. And he says, you know me and you know where I'm from, but the irony is you do not know me and you do not know where I'm from. Now, again, he's talking about the the truth that he came from heaven, that he came from the Father. Verse 29. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Jesus says here in these two verses that his enemies do not know him because they did not know his father. Now, I want you to think about that. That's what he says. You do not recognize me because you do not know God. He stirs them up again. He agitates them again. Now, you would recognize me if you knew my father. You do not know my father, God, and so you do not know me. All right, here's the response, verse 30. So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. An important verse. So because of that, they were seeking to seize him. And no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. The word for seize here is the same word for arrest. And so hearing him and seeing him being put out with what it is that he is saying, they decide to arrest him. We will arrest him. Now the Bible says here that no man laid a hand on him. Now, that's a miraculous thing. We're not sure why that happens, how that happens. But there he is. He's publicly seen, but no one lays a hand on him. It says, because his hour had not yet come. And so he is supernaturally delivered. Again, we're not sure how. It happens several times in Scripture. They cannot get to him. Now, I want you to remember this from yesterday. It is God's perfect time in which the gospel unfolds. It is God's perfect timing in which the crucifixion will take place. It's not going to be set by man. It was not set by man. It's not going to be pushed forward by men. His hour had not yet come, and so somehow, miraculously, he escapes being arrested. Verse 31. But many of the crowd believed in him. And they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? Verse 31, here in the temple, here in the crowd, in this great festival, there are some seeking to arrest him. There are some that are brewing, stewing in their hatred for him. There are many that are weighing it out. They're trying to decide who is he? And we see these things, we understand these things, and they're trying to decide. But the Bible says that there are many of the crowd, it translates a sizable number of the crowd that are believing in him. Seeing him, hearing him, watching him, hearing his message, watching his boldness, they are believing in him. Now they are saying when the Christ comes, He won't do more signs than this man has done, will he? 
Look at his miracles. That's what they're saying. Do you see his miracles? They are logically saying, what more evidence do we need? We've seen what he's done. We've seen the miracles. We hear about his miracles. They are logically saying, the Messiah won't do more than this, will he? And they are logically believing in Jesus. What more evidence do we need? Verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. The crowd is saying these things, muttering these things. And maybe it's a few at first, and maybe it's a few more, and then maybe it's sweeping across the crowd. They hear these, these leaders that the crowd is calling him the Christ, and so they decide it's time to end it. It's time to end it. It's time to send the temple police, and this time we will seize him. This time we will arrest him. It's time to end it right here. Verse 33. Therefore, Jesus said, for a little while longer, I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. Listen to verse 33. Jesus said, therefore, Jesus said, for a little while longer, I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. Jesus responds here, for, for a little while longer, I am with you. And then I will go to him who sent me. And I want you to understand tonight. Jesus is not talking about slipping away again. He's not talking about dipping into the crowd somehow. He's not even talking about going back to Galilee and leaving the city. No, in six months from these days, he will again be in Jerusalem. And it will again be for a feast of the Jews. But this time it will be in God's time. And this time he will be seized. And this time he will be arrested. And that time he will be crucified as the Lamb of God. And very shortly after that, he would ascend back to God the Father in heaven. Here's a very sad verse, verse 34. You will seek me and will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. See what he's saying here in verse 34. See what is happening here in the crowd of the temple. Understand tonight, he loves them. He loves them. He came for them. He is their promise. He is willing to die for them, for their salvation. He's willing to die to pay for their sin. He came into his own and they received him not. He was despised and forsaken of men like one from whom men hide their face. They beheld him and they missed him. They missed him. Do you see it? Caiaphas, he was your savior. Annas, he is your savior. Pharisees, he is your savior. They beheld him and they missed him. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Friends, I want you to understand tonight, tonight is the night. The time is now. Do not wait. Do not wait. The time is now. Verse 34 again. 
You will seek me and will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Verse 35. The Jews then said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He's not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? They wonder here if he'll leave Jerusalem and go stir up another group. They wonder if he'll leave Jerusalem and go and try to teach others this falsehood in their understanding. They do not understand what Jesus is saying. Verse 36. What is this statement that he said? You will seek me and will not find me and where I am, you cannot come. Folks, I want you to understand something tonight. The gospel is always to be explained with care. We're to be careful with the gospel. The gospel is always to be explained in truth. And I mean the fullness of truth. It is the truth. It's to be explained in truth. Listen, there is a stewardship in presenting the truth of a risen Savior, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I also want you to hear me tonight. It is also always done in urgency. It's always done in urgency. The gospel is urgent. We're not sure what life is. The Bible says, but a vapor. We're not sure what tomorrow will bring. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not sure when the trumpet will sound and time will be no more. And the gospel is always proclaimed in urgency. All right, there is a great conclusion coming in verse 37. Let me read verse 37, the ending verses here. There's a great conclusion. Let me start off with verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now all these words are going to be important. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. On the last day of the feast, on the great day of, of celebration, the last day, the conclusion of the feast, with everyone's attention, the Bible says that Jesus stands and he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. There on this day, on this day, when everybody's attention is focused on this spot, he stands and he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now I want you to see this. Part of the celebration of tabernacles, part of the celebration of booths, was that for once once a day, for seven days, now remember they lived in tents, they lived in booths, to remember their, their exodus out of Egypt. Well, once a day, during the seven days, the priest would leave the temple and he would lead a somber, quiet procession to the spring of Gibber. And he would take with him a gold pitcher, a gold vessel, and he would lead this procession to this spring. And once at the spring, he would fill it with water And then he would return back to the city, back to the gate, the water gate. 
And he would go to back to the temple. When he got to the temple, as he came to the gate, they would blast a horn three times. And then somebody would stand and read Isaiah 12, 3. Therefore, you will joyfully draw, draw water from the springs of salvation. That will be read as they entered back in. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And then once back inside, he would pour the water on the altar to thank God for the provision of water during the exodus. And listen, to also point to God's provision of salvation in the coming Messiah. And so I want you to put this together. I want you to see what's happening here. On the great day, on the final day, they make the trip, they go out, and they fill up the pitcher of water. They come back in, and it is a somber procession. It is a reverent procession, and they come back through the water gate, and somebody blows the horn three times, and somebody again reads the verse, Therefore you will joyously draw water from the spring of salvation. But however, on this seventh day, on this final day, they would make seven laps around the altar. It is the number of perfection. It is the number of completion. The rabbis would all sit down. And so understand on this day, when they come back in, there's the blast of the horn. There's the reading of the scripture. The rabbis sit down. And on this day, Jesus, living water himself, stands up and he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Revealing he was the provider then, but he's the promise now. He was the point to it all then, but he is salvation now. He was the deliverer then, and he also is the deliverer now. And he stands and he says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Verse 38. <clears throat> Listen to this. <clears throat> He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This is what he says. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. All right, verse 39. But this he spoke of the spirit. John is explaining it whom those who believed in him were to receive. The Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I want you to stay with me. Following Jesus truly is the best way to live. Jesus has said, and I just started in the seventh chapter and worked backwards, Jesus has said what belief in him provides. And so I'm not going to go any further than the seventh chapter. We're going to go from the seventh chapter backward. But he has said what belief in him provides. Now listen to me. He has said 10 times, Jesus himself has said 10 times that belief in him provides eternal life. And he who believes in me shall have eternal life. Life that is full 
and life that is without end. It's talking about quantity. It's also talking about quality. And so understand, Jesus himself has said 10 times that the one that believes in him shall have full life. The one that shall believe in him shall have life that does not end. 10 times himself he has said, believing in me, you shall have eternal life. Listen, following Jesus is the best way to live. You'll have eternal life. He said one time, listen, not eternal life, but one time he said life eternal. He flips it around. I don't know why he does it. Maybe we're not going to get it one way. He flips it around and says it another way. Both ways, you will have life eternal. Listen, following Jesus is the best way to live. You'll have life eternal. He keeps on and he has said in these seven chapters, Belief in him, listen to me, provides satisfaction and contentment. He says, the one that believes in him shall never thirst. The one that shall believe in him shall not be hungry. In a world that's never satisfied, he says, in him we will be satisfied. Walking with Jesus is truly the best way to live. He has said, by belief in him, listen, you shall not perish. Jesus said that. You shall not perish. You shall never perish by belief in him. It is the best way to live walking with Jesus. He has said by belief in him, we've passed from death unto life. That's what he says. By belief in him, we have passed. We've crossed over from death unto life. Now, let me go ahead and tell you what that means is. That means as followers of Jesus Christ, believing in him We will not die. Friends, I want to tell you something tonight. If anybody ever says to you, Toby one night got too excited and his heart couldn't take it and he fell over dead, you don't believe him. Because Jesus says, I shall live even if I die. That's what he says. Jesus says, I've passed from death to life. I shall never die and neither will you by faith in Jesus. It is the best way to live. Jesus goes on, praise the Lord. Jesus says, by believing in him, one does not come into judgment. That's what he says. By believing in him. Now, this is good news for guilty people. That's talking about us. The one that believes in him does not come into judgment. Following Jesus is the best way to live. He says, by believing in him, Whoever believes in him shall endure to the end. He says three different times, and I will raise him up on the last day. Friends, what that means is he has saved us, and in his power, he keeps us saved. What that means is if we start in him, we will finish with him, and we don't have to doubt about that. We don't have to worry about that. We can have confidence in that. We will endure to the end in the power of Jesus. It's the best way to live. And if that's not enough, I'm sure I missed something, but if that's not enough, he adds one more. He adds one more. He says, and he who believes in me from their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Rivers is plural. Verse 39 says, that's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. He adds to us. When you believe in me, you'll be filled 
with the wholeness, the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible says filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God will guide us. The Holy Spirit of God will lead us. The Holy Spirit of God will convict us. The Holy Spirit of God will encourage us. And when it's hard, the Holy Spirit of God will empower us. By faith in him, we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And those are just seven chapters of some of the blessings of belief. Listen to me tonight. Greatest thing I can tell you tonight is this. Following Jesus, walking with Jesus, truly is the best way to live. It's the best way to live. Let's pray. Very far we come, and I'm thankful for this truth. Thankful for this reality. You didn't come to spite us. You didn't come to crush us. You didn't come to rub our nose in our guilt. You came to save us. Came to forgive us. And if no work of our own, no work that we can muster, no work that we can do, you give us eternal life. You give us life eternal. You free us from the condemnation of our guilt. You step out of your judgment. You step into it in our place. We're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, encouraged, empowered in your spirit. We're given eternal life, life that's full, life that doesn't end. We sidestep death. And yea, though we die, we yet live. Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, I'm thankful that you love us so much that you give us as people, as sinners, the best way to live. Lord, help us to embrace it. Lord, help us not to miss it. Lord, help us not to behold that truth and do like these folks and walk by it. Lord, help us to find and embrace and grab that truth, receive it in faith. Lord, we're thankful for that opportunity. Lord, I pray that you have spoken. I believe you have. I pray that you continue to speak. I pray as we wrap up this service that those that are considering it, those that are thinking about it tonight, I pray that they turn to you. Pray that believers are encouraged and we turn to you. That folks that have never heard that are lost and out of their sins, that they would turn to you. Now I pray the result is that you be glorified tonight. Our living water. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response tonight. And the, the truth of this night is the truth of every night. Jesus loves you. God loves you. He sees your state and your sin, and he, he loves you too much to leave you in it. And with no way out, stuck perishing, he sends his only begotten son, his one and only son, that by belief in him, we might be saved. Bible says we're sinners. We have to own up to it. We're sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Bible says we've earned a punishment and death. The book of Revelation says a second death, separation from God, now and for all eternity. Bible says the good news of the gospel is God did what we could never do, and he sent his son. He took our sin, and he paid for it in the cross of Calvary. He settled it there. He died paying the penalty. He lives again, resurrected from the dead, lives again. The Bible says if we will trust in him, if we will turn to him, look to him for our salvation, if we'll profess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, we shall be saved. The call of this message is the call of this gospel. Turn to Jesus. Trust Jesus. Believe in Jesus. He'll save you tonight. 
He'll save you tonight. If you're hearing this tonight and you've never done that, I would encourage you to do it tonight. If you've heard this several times and you're not sure if you've done it, I would encourage you, do it tonight. Settle it tonight. Don't leave here. Don't go away and not have this settled tonight. His grace is offered to you tonight. Don't be like these folks who beheld Jesus and they missed it. Turn to Jesus tonight. If you're, if you're here and you've trusted Christ but you've never fought in believers' baptism, I want to encourage you as well to come and say, what an obedience to Christ, in honor of Christ, in testimony to Christ. I want to be baptized to testify, signify what we believe of him. And you come, it'll be a great day of celebration. Maybe you're here and you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God's led you, led you here. You come as well. Together we'll uphold his word. We'll point to his glory until he comes back and gets us. Maybe on this 35th night, on this Friday night, you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. We're not in a hurry to get anywhere. We got plenty of time. We're going to stay in the sing. I'm going to ask the Norman stir for an exit. You pray for those that are making decisions. If God is speaking to you, if he's spoken to you tonight, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here. You come on. I'll meet you here.